Imagine a world you're thrilled to be living in. Imagine telling your children and your grandchildren that in this time and in this place, we came together. Imagine change unconstrained by our individual understandings of what's possible. This is all of us on WNHH 103.5 FM, New Haven's independent radio station. I'm Greg Grinberg. My guest today is Justin Farmer. Justin's running for the Hampton Town Council's 5th District. He's majoring in biology and political science at Southern, and as you'll see, he synthesizes the two in his approach to political work in really terrific ways. Justin, thanks so much for being here. It's great to have you. Oh, no problem. So Justin, I wanted to start a little bit with uh, just talking about you personally. So you've, uh, you've lived in New Haven and Hamden your whole life, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I grew up in, I was born at St. Ray Fields Hospital, um, and we grew up in East Rock. Uh, my parent, my mom is from Jamaica, so she had been here for almost a decade before I was born, and they lived in the East Rock area. Uh, and then rent went up. And then we moved to the borderline of Hamden and New Haven. Um, and that's where I've been since I, uh, we, so we moved to the borderline and we moved, I was across the street. And then when I was six, we did a really big move, really tough move. And I moved across the street <laughs> and that's where I've been since. Awesome. And you've been politically active. This is certainly not your first foray into politics running for Hamden's town council. Yes, so I um, last semester I decided I really needed to get involved with politics, uh, and as most people will tell you, all politics is local. So I I decided to do a internship uh, with four candidates: Gail Slosserberg, Kim Rose, Sean Ronan, and Ben Gettinger in uh, the Milford area. Okay, and I did those four campaigns, and then I started to work. Um, I went to the People's Center because I work with different activist groups. And that's the People's Center here in New Haven on 37 Howe Street. Yes, so they had a Black Lives Matter event. And I went there and there was this guy who was sitting in there asking me all these questions about my life. And then he told me that I was hired and I got really confused. And then he explained to me that he was the manager for the Working Families Party. So... I uh, worked on six more campaigns, so I worked on a total of 10 campaigns in Connecticut, and then a state race in uh, New York for the Senate, so the New York Senate race. All with working families. With working families. Terrific. Now, what inspired you to run this year for, for Hammond's Town Council in particular? So, for this year... Um, uh, Kathleen Shoemaker is uh, moving on to working with the town, working on environmental issues, which are really close to me. And I've lived in Hamden my whole entire life and felt that I've been working on these issues as an activist, but I need to get politically involved. And once I did these campaigns, I realized I had those skills and knew how to canvas and how to win an election. And I thought, if you know how to do it, you have ideas for changing the community, why don't you just run? Uh, and, and certainly we need that. We need yeah. more people to, to realize that they are the people that they've been waiting for. Yeah. Also, we hit a glass ceiling. Uh, the glass ceiling broke with uh, what politicians look like with this last presidential election. Mm. And for me... With the election of President Obama. 
So the President Obama to President Trump, um, part of that has allowed me to break the perceptions of what I think a politician should look like or how they should act. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so for me, I know viewers can't see, but I wear noise-canceling headphones because I'm sensitive to sound. Um, and I said, oh, well, you know... And you, you, you always wear noise-canceling headphones. Yes, so I uh, have sensory issues. I have Tourette's, and I'm very sensitive to sound. So I always thought to myself, well, you're still a college student. You're sensitive to sound. You know, you don't have any other political background besides being a community activist. You know, you, you, you don't have the qualifications to run and then... My perception changed. Oh, with the election of Trump. I see what you're <laughs> yeah. saying. So, yeah. I've never heard the word, uh, the, the phrase glass ceiling uh, used in that context. But, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's really interesting. But it strikes me that in a lot of ways uh, you actually are quite qualified, uh, certainly in your thinking. I want to talk, uh, talk about your platform now. It's really quite um, broad and also nuanced at the same time. Um, why don't we start with special education? I know that that's an area that you're really particularly passionate about. Yeah, so special education. I had worked for the special education department in Hamden for two summers and worked with great staff and learned more about how special education services work. I learned about the back work that goes into it, uh, what accommodations are like, and how to really get the most out of the IE. IEP, Individual Education Plan, or 504 Plan, which is a health uh, plan. So if you need special needs based off of physical disability or having the illness that you need special accommodations for. Um, and then myself, I, being in the special education program. Maybe back when you were in high school. Back when I was in high school. But then during high school was when I got diagnosed with Tourette's. Um, so coming into this new um, new territory of learning what accommodations were out there and then having, you know, an illness that created a whole new slew of problems on top of, you know, the special needs for my education really made me want to focus on making sure everyone has education. And so in particular, you, um, you were talking about uh, before we started recording the show here, you were talking about uh, the uh, sort of an eff the efficient use of funds when it comes to special education and how you want to you know make sure that 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 money is spent wisely when you know in in meeting the needs of every student. Yeah. So for me, I I needed a program called Dragon Dictate. So there are times where my so that's hand... a, a speech recognition program. Yes, it's a speech recognition program where. Like, sometimes my hand might move 20 times in a minute. So writing a paragraph might be a little difficult to do that. But with Dragon Dictate, I can literally um, just read it. I can literally speak, and whatever I say can be typed out for me. Um, so for me, that's a great program. The problem was that it costs $600. Um, unfortunately, with my health and other situations... Uh, there's a lot of bottlenecks to accessing programs like that that would have easily helped me uh, fit into mainstream education. And I eventually 
went on to doing homeschooling. And then I felt that I wasn't getting a proper education with just homeschooling because at that point, I was when I was in school, I was doing six hours of class a day and I only had a tutor for six hours a week. So I was missing out on a ton of coursework. So I got disability advocates from the state to help me get back into school. And I ended up going to the Cedarhurst School, which is a great therapeutic school. Um, but I was surprised when I found out that that cost fifteen to $20,000 a year to send one student. Um, and being cognizant of that, uh, I feel it was very well invested uh, in education for me and the certainly, services I needed. Certainly. Um, but I also feel that in my particular case, maybe I didn't need to be in that space. Maybe accommodations, you know, getting the accommodations for, you know, 600 or spending. So the, the expenditures like the license for the speech yeah. recognition program. Would probably have been more appropriate and if you know, certain things have been addressed earlier and being proactive to make sure that our kids who have special needs really get that um, intensive education earlier on rather than wait closer to them graduating and leaving our services because then it's more costly. But we also have... To the town overall. It's costly to the town, but, you know, really we care about these individuals' education and empowering someone with the idea that you have the ability to learn and the ability to to really take your future into your own hands as early as possible is something that will help them um, throughout their life. And in that case, I see no reason that we should really have a barrier to cost and that we should really try to get as much funding for those special education services as we possibly can. Absolutely. So let's go through the rest of the issues in your campaign now. We have, um, a, you, you know, you provided me with this um, with this really thorough document here on your on your campaign positions. Um, so starting, I guess, with with civic participation here. Um, why don't we Why don't you tell us about your ideas there and, and sort of what what differentiates your campaign? So part of my tenure, I wanted to, if I'm so lucky to, uh, you know, get elected. One thing that I want to do is make sure that everyone feels that they have a voice and a seat at the table. And that one thing I learned doing so many campaigns was that a lot of people don't feel that their voice is heard. And going to their door and collecting, you know, um, their thoughts and concerns about things is one thing. But also connecting people to the services that we need. Um, this last legislative session, there's been a slew of different things that we've been trying to work on at the Capitol. And it's really been individuals who have these niche skills and have a great depth of understanding and things that really push forward legislation. And I don't think that's just true for legislation. I think that's true for any cause. So, mm. you know, I might want to do a community garden, but there might be someone who has the ability and knowledge to do that way beyond my scope and I really need to hear them and listen to them and get their knowledge and wisdom on that and I also need them to feel that they can come to me at any time and share that with me so part of the, one of the things that I'm doing is making a survey uh, and trying to make it uh, digital so that 
I ask all the constituents, like, what are their major concerns for, you know, Hamden? What are our major strengths? And how do they think we should address those problems? Not just, like, this is a problem, you want me to take care of it. But how do you think I should go about fixing this problem? And oftentimes, you learn way more than you would have thought of. Like, oh, like, yeah, you know, I thought we needed, you know, a stop sign here. But really what we need is, you know, we need a crossing guard. And I would have never thought about that. Or, oh, you know, I thought our main concern was were these potholes when it's really, you know, a drainage pipe that's sticking out. That's the real concern for, uh, you know, people on a particular street. So you're really talking about coordinating the resources that exist within a community, whether those resources are in the form of ideas or skills or time and energy or financial resources to actually meet the needs of the community itself. Yeah. You're helping the community to sense some sense to become more aware of itself. Yeah. So, and, and as an elected official, you sort of feel that you have a, a role to play there in kind of being a, a hub. Yeah, and I think that's, especially with social media and other things now, that it's so easy to access um, your elected officials um, through many platforms, especially with younger people being able to reach us through social media. Like, if you see a problem, you know, you can, in the past, you'd have to call and leave a message or so, but now you can, you know, send a message directly to your person, and that problem can start to be you can start to work on that as soon as we find out about it and I love the idea of being a hub because it allows me personally to be connected to what's going on in my community um, and people like uh, the ham Pam group have done a great job of focusing and centralizing information uh, specific to Hampton and I'd love to do that for the fifth district and get that broader where we're constantly finding out what issues we have and like who has the skills to deal with them. And Hampan is the Hamden Progressive Action Network? Yes. Right. So, you know, I, my main concern is always going to be the 5th District. Sure. But someone in the 2nd District might have a skill that I really need to learn or they're the ones who I should really be talking to. Absolutely. In, in advancing a project, whether it's, whether yeah. it's connected with Hamden's government or not, is yeah. what I'm getting from you. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting that you're talking about this just because, as some of our listeners might know, uh, I'm working with Alexandra Torres Cantero on a platform called Community, which is out to solve this this very problem. Huh? And it's great to hear someone <laughs> tell me that this this problem, you know, to, to explain the problem back to me in different words that I would have used. Yeah, I, I might have to get an extra chat with you about that. Absolutely. I'd love to hear I'd love to hear offline how uh, how you would design it and what in what features you feel are most are most uh, crucial and and that's 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 an open invitation to anyone who's listening to this to this broadcast now if you have thoughts on that I would very much love to hear that. Um, and uh, and I can be reached at greg.d.grinberg at gmail.com anytime. Um, but uh, but for now, it's it's really interesting how, in some sense, radio and Facebook and you know and other forms of media are sort of the best things we have. We kind of have these these sort of shots in the dark where, when we have a project, we um, and we you know when we need and we we need community members to get involved in order for it to flourish. We sort of you know send it out into the you know ethos. into the ethos and hope something <laughs> comes back. Um, 
So actually, that segues really beautifully, I think, into development. You, um, I wanted to talk first about your idea of uh, supporting the completion of a Hamden-wide fiber optic um, network. Um, so tell me, tell me about the, what's the status of that now? So that we, you know, Josh Elliott up, uh, up in Hartford, he's a representative. That's something that's been being pushed that did not pass this year. So as part of the budget they wanted to spend on infrastructure, yeah, on and, infrastructure and they wanted to create a universal fiber optic network throughout Connecticut. Yeah, and I think part of that is what we can always do from the local level. Sometimes what we want to do doesn't branch out to, you know, Hartford at right. first, but setting the, you know, the, the tracks down for that. Yeah, being the example areas. for others to follow can definitely get us to, you know, regionalizing these things and thinking about them for the state. So, like, Hamden's a great place, and we're a burgeoning small town that's really has grown into a city. And I think access to faster internet is something that will bring in younger people and bring in tech industry jobs, especially geared towards eds and meds. So education and the medical field that's really you know, coming out of the greater New Haven area. Absolutely. In terms of industries that are flourishing yeah. here, here in New Haven. Absolutely. I mean, and I think the, um, uh, I think that the idea of a free universal public internet is a really, you know, is a really good one. I personally believe. And it's the New Haven green, they just made, you know, um, the whole entire green has just become Wi-Fi accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Tony Harp just uh, announced that earlier uh, this week, and I thought that was a great thing. Where like everyone has access, this large, huge green space, everyone has access to the internet and fast internet. At that, that's something that you know we'd love to see everywhere. Right, we'd love to blanket the entire city, you know, of New Haven and Hamden with um, with that coverage. Absolutely. Um, we're, um, you know, it's also, I think, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting to sort of think about this in a historical context, too, that this idea isn't exactly new. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we've had a postal service longer than we've had a country, and that postal service has a universal service obligation. It, it, you, know, the, you know, everyone in the country must be able to send and receive mail, no matter how remote you are. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, there's a parallel here that just, you know, access to information and being able to communicate with each other is, is not only a right, but it makes us stronger because it brings us together. Especially with businesses being so spontaneous and like, where, you know, being able to have access, you know, being able to talk to an investor mm-hmm. or talk to a business, you know, five seconds faster can completely change, you know, who has access to the market. Well, and certainly as so many businesses, you know, become software service businesses, being able to, um, being able to host, uh, those services and, uh, and provide, um, really responsive user experiences. I mean, I can certainly, I can certainly agree with that, 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 when you talk about, um, you know, five seconds faster response time multiplied across millions of users for each individual user that's using a service, that that those five seconds can absolutely make or break the success of a, of an app, for example. Yeah. You know, for sure. 
So let's. Um, so so what else in terms of development are you thinking about? You know, in, in your platform. So something else that I I would like to see is to have so. There's a lot of things that we need to be uh, building and to add to our local community. Um, but one thing is, I want to see a community center um, in my area, in the southern part of Hampton. Right. And I think. You and know, of course, we have 1253 Whitney, now, yeah. the, now the Whitney Cultural Whitney, Commons. Yes, which is a beautiful, great space. Um, um, but having, you know, Hampton is a very, it's a very big city town yeah i mean almost almost city at <laughs> yeah. sixty thousand people yeah um and with you know hampton stretching nine point something miles long there's a lot of room to cover um especially with the idea of transportation so one having public transportation a better and robust infrastructure for everyone to be able to get to different parts but also having Hubs. And I think the southern part of Hampton really needs a community space that can really uh, draw in the community and be able to have a safe place for kids to play, have a place where parents can connect and talk about issues that are going on. Also, have a place where, you know, other citizens and community members can really come together and talk about the issues that are in their community. So what sorts of services are you imagining um, would take place, in, you know, in, in the community center? I mean, so you, you know, you mentioned youth programs. I mean, do you have sort of more, more details on what you're so, yeah, imagining I, would take place? So some of the things that I would love to see are, um, again, going back to, to, um, to this election, I think a lot of people having something robust um, after-school programs on history and, like, different things that have happened in our town and happened in our region would be great. Um, there are several students, so at, being at Southern, there is uh, a student who has put on a play about black women and their importance and their roles that were specifically geared to young girls learning about the contributions women have made to our society. But I'd also say, you know, we need those type of programs. Part of the thing is knowing myself, being in the special education department. Right. Something that we're cutting out a lot from our schools are um, access to history. And, you know, that's something that isn't on a lot of our standardized tests. It's something that students often have to... Um, might have to sacrifice to make sure that the other skills that they're working on could uh, be on par to the rest of their uh, peers. So you're saying that civic education needs to happen both in and out of the school and that the cultural centers uh, that you imagine as a venue for that that. to happen. For that to happen. Um, Also a great space to have community discussions. Um, There's been, uh, you know, town hall is far for some people, but to have a space in the southern part of Hampton where you can gather a large crowd to talk about issues um, and do that in the winter months would be a great thing. Absolutely. 
So with your platform here that you've, you've given me here, which is, again, extremely detailed, and I would encourage listeners to check it out. I think you're going to be posting it to your Facebook page. Yes. Uh, which is? Farmer for Fifth. Uh, so it's a just political all, page, Farmer for Fifth. All one word, Farmer for Fifth. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, they're separated. Um, but yeah. Oh, okay. Farmer for Fifth. Great. Um, so wh- where do you where do you want to go next in terms of your platform? The floor is yours here. So um, diversity is something else that I really want to focus on. And I think that uh, highlights and touches a lot of different issues. Um, Hamden has changed in the last decade uh, in what community we have and what people are coming to Hamden and what people are coming to the greater New Haven area. We have a large burgeoning Muslim community um, and fostering positive relationships with our, you know, Muslim brothers and sisters, um, I think is pertinent with some of the cultural, uh, phenomena that are happening in the nation. I think another Absolutely. great thing is, um, Hamden, we, in our, in our schools, in our public schools right now, we, uh, are teaching kids in 28 different languages. So there are kids who are in ESL classes uh, learning English as a second language who are speaking to us in many different languages than uh, than uh, a lot of other communities know or yeah. share. So to be able to highlight these different cultural differences and really learn from each other about what's in our own personal backyard and also what's in our backyard uh, from a global perspective is really important. Um, and the last thing on diversity is to have spaces where we can share together and learn from each other. Uh, my family, um, is from Jamaica. Uh, they were immigrants that came here. Um, and it's just a beautiful thing that I can, you know, have a Hamden identity. I can have a Jamaican identity and really share those things together of, of the best aspects of both of those communities. And I'd love for everyone to have that chance to share that uh, with the rest of, you know, our neighbors. So that's whether that be diversity in hiring for our schools or that be speaking about having more diverse cultural events to share our long history and tradition of having immigrant families really, you know, um, capitalize on the American dream. So... Um, so that's, that's another important thing to me. And then the, uh, connected to that seems like, uh, policing reform seems extremely connected to that. Because, yeah. I mean, the, the way that the community interacts with the police can really affect the dynamics of the community as a whole. So, and you have some really interesting thoughts that I'd love for you to share on, on policing reform overall. So, yeah, I, you know. That's also part of the national um, conversation. And I think it's important to be having these discussions at a local level um, and be talking openly and uh, and, uh, being open and being forward about thinking about what issues could potentially come up and how to problem solve them. So a couple of weeks ago, I... um, I live on the borderline of Hampton and New Haven uh, in a very urban area, 
and there are, you know, a couple of streets down from me is Reed Street, which is known for having drug dealers. Um, the 14-year-old boy who was shot in New Haven uh, last week, uh, he he was shot three blocks away from where I live. Right. And for me, the important thing is to be able to have these discussions of how do we keep our neighborhood safe, but also how do we talk about the cultural phenomena and things that are going on nationally and make sure that some of the instances like Ferguson or Detroit don't happen here. So a couple of weeks ago, I was riding my bike, and I was riding my bike um, up to Albertus, Albertus Magnus, which is three about six blocks away from my house. Sure. And about three blocks away from my house, I saw a huge bundle and I stopped. And it was a ridiculous amount of uh, marijuana as well as uh, crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. Just sitting there on the side of the street. Just sitting there on the side of the street. Ridiculous amount of drugs. And I sat there and I thought, like, what should I do? Should I call the cops? And part of me hesitated calling the cops because of the national conversations that are happening, I wasn't sure if I felt comfortable enough calling the cops and potentially someone misunderstanding, you know, me being a, you know, a good concerned citizen and maybe thinking that those drugs were in fact mine. Um, and that shouldn't happen. That, you know, that I should be comfortable to, you know, call our are, you know, protective services and, you know, feel that. In general, especially yeah. especially in a dangerous situation, certainly. Yeah, and feel that, you know, justice will be preserved. Um, well, and in particular, that, that you will not be less safe because yeah. of the presence of, of an officer. And, you know, that's those are the type of conversations that we need to be having, uh, frankly and openly. So some of the things I want to do is have, you know, a eventually get us to a point where we can have a community review board for policing. But I think even just talking about what's happening in the community, um, I know there was a survey for policing uh, in Hamden that, you know, some of my neighbors didn't know about. And I didn't know about it until other neighbors um, in our community from Spring Glen told me about the survey. And I think, like, bridging those opportunities like that we have new um, walking beats in my neighborhood which is you know needed and I think making sure we have that close-knit connection with the police where we can trust each other and rely on each other's strengths to uh, really do community policing which is the community setting the uh, guidelines of what we want to see in our community and how we want to protect that culture an identity. And so you're talking about something that's pretty granular in terms of the community setting priorities for the police department? Yeah. Uh, so being able to, you know, sit down with the police chief and sit down with, you know, police in our area and say, like, you know, I find this to be a concern. How do we handle this together and really work through these problems, especially things that aren't, you know, life and death situations? You know, it, 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 you know, there are kids who ride around on dirt bikes and things like that, which are a noise nuisance and also could be dangerous. 
But how do we have those conversations with families and kids of how to be safe? Uh, having conversations on, you know, what to do if drugs are found and how to handle that. Having conversations on... Uh, and, and in particular, how we want police officers to respond yeah. to situations like that. And, and having an open and frank and honest conversation on, you know, our undocumented uh, brothers and sisters who live in our community. Um, how are we going to treat them and how how do they fit inside of our community? Um and I think that's important to have that conversation out in the open, but also to, you know, have legislation and have something concrete to say, you know, we as a community, uh, you know, Connecticut's really a sanctuary state. And I believe that most of our citizens believe that, you know, those who are serving our community who aren't a danger are welcome and are our friends and neighbors of our community. And I think we need to be not just seeing that with our hearts, but also put that on paper. And I think one way that you want to do that, if I'm not mistaken, is with a, um, a, a Hamden-issued uh, government ID. Yeah. So, and, and you know, the, the ID, that addresses um, helping our undocumented people, but also it's just great that Everyone has access to ID and everyone can, you know, there's so many concerns of figuring out who is who and where people should be. And I think everyone should have access to ID. Uh, God forbid anything happens to you and, you know, we, we don't know who someone is or someone gets lost or something. To be able to say this is who this person is and have that, you know, be something that uh, can I identify them if they don't have the money to be able to get transportation down to the DMV for you know one of the um, driver's license to you or, or the non-driver's yeah, license the non the drivers, yeah, yeah if you don't have access to that to have something in town that you can say everyone can have access to this and everyone could uh, you know participate and identify with the Hampton community so offering it as a service, you know, for yeah. the, and you were imagining that there would be no fee associated with the with issuing the, you know, this the sort of an, a form of identification. Hopefully, that's what I would love to see. Is that you know it can be something free where anybody can come in and uh, get it at the very least something that's low cost. Got it. So let's segue from there and talk about finance. I think you have some really interesting ideas on property taxation. Um, and um, and also on the way that town funds are spent uh, to promote certain types of development. So let's talk about that. So yeah, I so property taxes have been going up for a lot of people in Hampton, mm -hmm. and certainly in New Haven too. Yeah, we're, we're strangers to that here. <laughs> um, and I think part of the thing is Hampton has always been a good neighbor. Um, to our neighboring towns, and we've been missing out on money for our education fund, and because of that... But, you know, you guys, to be fair, you don't let us swim in your lake. <laughs> <laughs> and if you were really good neighbors, you know, I, I just, I'm just saying, you know, you'd invite us over to the barbecue, that and, and you, you'd let us, you know, you, you'd let us swim in the lake. That, yeah. You know what, I, that will be one of the things I'll be visiting uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I, I, I personally appreciate that. Um, 
part of us, you know, doing that, we've been paying higher taxes. And I think there's been conversations about regionalization right. up in Hartford. And I think that is something that, you know, could not just benefit Hampton, but really benefit a lot of people in uh, Connecticut. And, you know, there's not much that I can literally do as, you know, a city council person. Sure. But to have those conversations and to be uh, pushing people to be thinking about those things in the future of doing regionalization. There's um, potentially a fire station slash response station that could be coming to Hampton that will be a regional hub that will be serving multiple communities. And I love the idea that we can share um, together. And also, if we can get some of our uh, uh, wealthier um friends and cohabitators to uh, you know, pay their fair share of taxes, that will also lighten the burden on you know, small towns and uh, really allow them to free up uh, taxes and spend that money on infrastructure and spend that money on resources that our communities need. Right. Now, there's some talk at the national level, uh, and I certainly hope that this doesn't pass, and I don't think that it will, um, which is uh, to repeal the uh, deduction uh, at the federal level for state and local taxes. Um, that deduction is something that makes it, in my mind, a, a, a pretty good deal for, you know, for, for the wealthier um, residents in a town to pay higher property taxes because the, it's offset quite substantially for high income earners, um, by the federal deduction. It's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like a 40% discount on the, uh, on, on property taxes. So what's your argument to someone who is in that bracket who, um, you know, is, you know, is paying, um, you know, federal taxes in the highest bracket and who is say in the top, you know, somewhere in the top one or the top 5% of, you know, property values, um, you know, as, as a property owner in Hamden, what's your, what's your argument to them in terms of saying like, look, if you, if you step up and pay more, pay even more than you're already paying, it's going to come back to you. Yeah. So I, the reason, you know, there's a lot of conversation on why Aetna and GE have left and you sure know, why that's the thing. And I think part of that is, they wanted to be in bigger cities. Now, some people say it's because of the property taxes. It's because we're taxing these businesses too much. That could be possible. They but they moved to New York and Boston, which are charging them. You know, they have higher rates of property tax than we do. Right. Um, and so higher I, higher income tax, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Also. So it could, you know, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think that's the case. I think they're paying more because they're in burgeoning uh, cities that are really attracting young people to come to them and work in, uh, you know, these environments where the social services are some of the things that make it attractable to live in a place like Boston or New York. And I think Hamden has, Hamden has a lot of those charms, but I'd argue Connecticut has a lot of those charms and that uh, paying my taxes, the very little that I do as a college student, is the badge of honor that I get to wear to say I'm from Connecticut. Uh, and when you have services like, you know, for at least for Hampton, we have, you know, trash that's collected. 
you don't have to pay an extra fee for your firefighters to come uh, and put out a fire if something happens. Being able to have, you know, summer jobs program for youth. Those are things that, you know, uh, a robust, great uh, special education program for our kids who have uh, different needs who we also know can excel and achieve very great things. Those are things that, you know, you know, when I start to build a family, those are the type of things that I'll be looking for, for my community. And I think, you know, when it comes to, we all live in the same community and share those resources. So, you know, by paying, paying that share of taxes, you're investing in your community and you're ensuring that everyone can also live and enjoy a comfortable life uh, and enjoy the the city life that we have here, as well as the comfortabilities of the suburbs and, you know, our great parks that we have to really get the best uh, experience of the East Coast all wrapped up in, you know, um, a small state that is connected. Yeah, in a way, I mean, this it reminds me of a conversation we were having before we before we started recording here. Um, the way you you sort of synthesize your two majors, biology and political science, and the, I, I hear a lot of kind of ecosystem yeah. thinking in in the way that you think about public policy, and that sounds like what you're talking about now. It sounds like you're talking about making life life better, more appealing in lots of different ways. Which in turn, which in turn will attract uh, millennials, and you know, and and, uh, and and which in turn attracts companies. Is is what I hear you saying. Yeah. So it, it sounds like an ecosystem argument. So for so, I'm studying biology and studying um, political science, mm -hmm. studying biology, studying marine bio and our uh, our environment. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to study overfishing and what's going on with that. Um, looking at oyster restoration projects and things like that. But also I'm studying gentrification and how um, wealth moves around in our cities. Mm. And, and out of our cities. And, and out of our cities. And I think for me is that, you know, we haven't been investing in our cities as we should be. And we don't have regionalization, uh, which affects some of the smaller towns that rely on services um, to be paid by property tax. And for me, I'm at one of the state colleges, so I'm at Southern, um, and about 70, I want to say 73% of the students that go to uh, Connecticut State University stay in the state for two to five years after they graduate. Mm -hmm. That means we're retaining a great deal of our young people, mm -hmm. and they're still in the state. Um, and if we can continue that trend to keep our young people in the state, um, we'll be in good shape. But if we don't have the resources and, and we're not investing in our roads to fix our roads, if we're not investing um, in things that make us competitive business-wise, like, like fiber, if we're not you know, um, drawing in tech and IT jobs and you know, eds and meds, then, you know, we're going to fall behind. And I think that Connecticut, for the longest time, has had the potential to be that hub between New York and Boston. And I think, you know, you know, New Haven and Bridgeport and Hartford should be just as well known as, you know, uh, Boulder, Colorado. 
or you know. And then absolutely, no. I, I mean, I, I I personally can certainly endorse that view. I mean, as as someone building a technology company here in New Haven, I will certainly say that if we had a universal fiber optic network, um, that would be that would be a game changer in terms of how we can recruit and 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 run uh you know our company uh, i mean just for the simple reason that people you know programmers like to work from home sometimes and being able to offer them uh the ability to do that and uh you know and still effectively be here i mean you know we're, with fiber we're talking about an internet that is really a hundred times faster than what we realistically get now you know from commercial providers um, so I can certainly, and I mean, so to, I mean, I mean, the contrast is really clear. I mean, you're talking about, I, I, we can be in New York and our team of, of software engineers can spend an hour, an hour and a half a day on crowded, super hot subways and, you know, trying to get around. Um, or we could be here in New Haven where it's, you know, and, you know, and, and towns surrounding like Hamden where we can, you know, easily get around. And when we don't even feel like that, if we had a fiber network, um, I mean, that, that would be, I mean, the, the, the quality of life and also the amount of time that we can spend doing productive work that actually really creates value for what we're trying to build as opposed to just kind of surviving day to day, it would really, yeah. it would really make the decision to be here in New Haven uh, be much easier to, uh, to explain that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, that, that's part of the beauty that I see of, Hamden becoming this, you know, city is that we're drawing in these young professionals and we're drawing in these families, uh, and we still have the great small town charms that you know really make it feel like a close knit community and make it really feel homey, uh, a place that you want to settle down, you know, set roots. Um, no farmer puns intended. <laughs> No, absolutely. So it sounds like you know. Again, you you have a you have a very um, I think broad and well thought through and highly detailed platform here. Um, and um, I I know that you'll be posting that to your Facebook page, which again yeah. is uh, Farmer for Fifth. Farmer for Fifth on Facebook. And the primary um, that you're you're running in the primary for the Democratic nomination. Yes, I'm running in the primary for the Democratic nomination. Um, the primary is September twelfth. Um, my name will be on the B part of the ballot. Uh, um, and yeah, and you know, I want as many people to come out and reach out, um, uh, come out for the primaries, but as many people to reach out to me on issues. Um, cause even if I, I'm hoping to win and I hope I'm the person who y'all feel are right, is right for the job. Um, but even so, I, I still, uh, as an activist, these are issues that I will always be working on uh, and always put my full effort into. Um, so, yeah. So, Justin, how can people get in, involved in, in your campaign and how can they get in touch with you? Um, you know, either to contribute um, ideas or to, to get involved with door knocking. Or yeah, so there is the Farmer for Fifth Twitter. So I'll be tweeting out uh, anytime I go to an event or anytime I'm going to something. Um, People who are on Twitter will know ahead of time where I'll be, what I'll be doing uh, each day. Um, and Facebook, I'll be posting uh, um, 
past events that I've gone to, the things that I've done in the community, as well as articles um, and to spur um, discussion on things uh, of importance like tonight, uh, 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 Rosa DeLauro is uh, uh, with the family that uh, is possibly going to be deported mm. and to, you know, have a discussion about that. Like, how do we feel about that as a community? And what things can we do to get plugged in? Um, so those on Facebook, that's more of what we're going to be doing. It's a lot easier to have passionate, spurred debates uh, with a little bit more than 140 characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So they can get your number from the Facebook yeah, page? Yeah, Facebook and... has my number and email. But you can also reach me personally on email uh, at justin.farmer28 at gmail. Justin.farmer28 at gmail. Okay. And feel free to call or text me anytime at um, 203-2517. So. <laughs> awesome. Justin, I see you around everywhere. It's always great to see you. Yes. Thanks so much for being on the show. No, no problem. Thank you.